are your thoughts and if you can see yourself as something much bigger than what people see you, then the doors will open. You just have to keep knocking. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. When Dania Ramirez was six months old, her parents made the difficult decision to immigrate to the United States. That meant leaving Dania and her sister in the Dominican Republic under the care of their grandmother. A decade later, the siblings were able to join their parents in New York City before they moved to New Jersey. Dania's introduction to the entertainment industry came five years later when she caught the eye of a modeling scout while working at a convenience store. Her modeling career quickly sparked an interest in acting, and Dania began taking classes and going out for auditions, all the while graduating high school at 16 and college when she was 20. At that point, she began her career in earnest. She was cast as an extra in Spike Lee's 1997 film Subway Stories, Tales from the Underground, a job that would lead to later roles in his films 25th Hour and She Hate Me. Since then, Dania has appeared in X-Men, The Last Stand, The Sopranos, and starred in Devious Maids, Off the Menu, Once Upon a Time, Tell Me a Story, and currently, Alert, Missing Persons Unit. Last year, she took a dive into the world of podcasting by executive producing the incredible scripted series, Sisters of the Underground, alongside Eva Longoria. Today, we're going to be talking about Danya's journey through Hollywood and the recent release of the second season of Sweet Tooth, a post-apocalyptic series in which Danya stars as Amy Eden, a former therapist who is fiercely dedicated to protecting her daughter and other hybrid children who are highly vulnerable to the outside world. Skip Intro is back. I am so excited to be not only in the studio, but in person with my guest. Donya Ramirez, it's great to see you. Good to see you. You look beautiful, by the way. Aww. I know I just told you this when I saw you outside, yeah. but it's just so nice and refreshing to see you this way. Well, I dressed up for you. I know. I, I had a thought this morning, like, I know I'm going to see Danya, And I we, we met, <laughs> we hadn't seen each other in a long time, and we met for lunch, and you look like a lit stick of dynamite walking in at noon. And I was like, I know she's going to look <laughs> well, good yeah, for me. Honestly, so I have to, I have to up level a little I bit. I feel like now that my kids are almost 10, I do have a little more time to breathe. So when I'm home, I'm like, okay, I'm going to dress up again. I feel like I can get myself back again. There were a couple of years there that I was just in sweats. Yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> the pandemic also, we were all kind of oh, in yeah. sweats, I think, yeah, universally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was so excited to talk to you. And I was going through some of my archives Mm -hmm. and I was like, when did I meet? Because I was really trying to figure it out, like kind of the TikTok of of when we first uh, met each other when I, or for me when I was like, who is this person? And I found the vanities that we did in Vanity Fair in 2004, August, okay? Wow, that is a long time You were time 24 ago. years wow. old, okay, 24 years old. So It's such a long time ago that the Reagans were on the cover where it was like a book <laughs> excerpt of like oh their enduring God. love affair. I was like, wait, what? What is happening oh. here? But you looked amazing. <laughs> And it was the Thank first big you. press. I think it was the Spike Lee movie, maybe, right? Yeah, that was my first. Uh, yeah, it was the first big thing that I had done. I think before that, I had done. Um, I want to say I did. I did a, uh, an independent film called Cross Bronx. That is really what got me to move uh, out to LA, and it got me my my manager. But yeah, the Spike Lee movie. I actually, believe it or not, think I did the Spike movie after I did Fat Albert. Which is interesting because I was playing a lawyer in She Hate Me mm-hmm. uh, for Spike Lee. And then like av- like before that, I was like, after that, I was like 24 years old playing 17 in Fat Albert. Yeah. <laughs> and what I remembered and what I loved about my past life was I would see movies and be like, who's that? And then, you know, for the vanities, I kind of chase them down and be able to have a, that sense of discovery. And so I will say... Yeah, you know, however many years later, it's so great to see you and like to look at what you've done and to give Thank IMDb you. a shout out. I mean, the way your page, I, I was like the highlights is, is a page long. Uh, you know, and it that's could make me everything. feel old, but I think I just kind of I'd rather feel accomplished. Not old, accomplished, exactly. Like, and here, and by the way, we're here really to talk about your show that you have on Netflix, Sweet Tooth. It's the second season. Yeah. And I love the first one, and I watch, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I have watched the second one, and I love it as well. Oh, and that makes me so happy yeah, that, so, you, that you've watched it already. Yeah, of course, I, I love, binged it this I love weekend. This show. I love this show. I love this show. It's like such a gem. It's 
you know, it came for me at a time. I remember deciding I'm, I'm going to take a break from the business. My kids are going to start kindergarten and I really want to be there for them. And, you know, coming back from a trip that I did to India and, and saying I'm going to just dedicate myself to just taking care of me and being with my children. And I within that period of time, uh, COVID happened. And then everybody went crazy and, you know, anything <laughs> yeah. to say the least. And and then we just didn't know, you know, I think right at the beginning of it, it was so, um, it was so scary for so many people. And, and the business had shut down and I was like, okay, wow, I, I wanted to take a break. I didn't want to stop working forever. So I kind of got a little nervous and I remember calling my, uh, my reps and saying, you know, I know that I said that I was going to take a year break, but I don't know what's happening with this. And so maybe we should, you know, open up again and see what happens. And then we got the the material from Carmen Cuba, who's incredible, um, and sent the material for this role of Amy Eden. And I think they had just opened up the role. If from my understanding, mm-hmm. they couldn't find someone that they were into, and you know, they were like, "Okay, we're gonna open it up and see everybody." And there was something about the material, not just the show, because the show is just such a beautiful and optimistic way to look at life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I was in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everything happens for a reason. And for me, that's exactly when Sweet Tooth came into my life. I was like, okay, I, I, I'm gonna give into nature and, and and love and and motherhood, and that's the path that I was on. And then I read five pages of this one scene for Amy Eden and I was like oh my god I have to play this role mm-hmm. and my husband read with me it was like my first time ever like auditioning through zoom ah. uh, <laughs> so are you taping is he reading so, the other parts is yeah so he is? was reading the other part we sent in the tape and then right away we got you know we got um, a call my reps got a call and they were like oh they really you know they really like her we want to have a meeting, and, and I was like, okay, great. So my husband and I will happen to be in um, Joshua Tree that weekend, and they were like, they were trying to have the meeting with me. So I come in, and I have the meeting with the creator, Jim Mickle, and with the other showrunner, um, Beth Schwartz, and it was the most unbelievable meeting. It was just about, like, who are you? What are you into? And it just felt so natural, and the, the best place to really get into a diff- that kind of role like they really had a clear idea of what they wanted, but they were also like open to like, what do you have to bring to this to this character? And and I felt really really comfortable right from the very start. And I'm so lucky because it was such a difficult time in the world, mm-hmm. um, and it was so easy to just say to give up or to be like, okay, well this is happening to me and this is so negative. To just read a show like Sweet Tooth and to be a part of it, like everything is so, it's the end of the world, but it's how do you look at it? How do you take this oppor- do you take this as an opportunity to see like what else can you do in your life? Like how do you see the world? What kind of world do you want to leave behind for your children? And I felt like, oh my God, this is the kind of stuff that I really want to do. I want my kids to watch this and to get inspired. And I want the world to feel like it's all about humanity and how do we treat each other during this during these very difficult times. The parallels are yeah. uncanny. And also the feelings and, and the fear and the way the show handles all of it is amazing. And I love the way your character is a therapist who hates people in the beginning. <laughs> we watch her own t- transformation and she's kind of speaking for humanity, right? You're, you're speaking yeah. for the average, you know, I hate. I work with people. I yeah. hate people. I just want to be alone. And I just want to yeah. be alone. I want to get secluded and separate myself. And I don't really. And then it's you know. Then then I can get this this little baby. You know, have human, yeah. have um, have pig. The hybrids, the right? Hybrid, yeah. yeah. And I become sort of like the mother, and I have this newfound find um, purpose in life. Yeah. Um, and that I thought it was really inspiring, especially because of everything that we had gone through. You know, through this pandemic, and and hopefully it just allows us because now we're in a different place right and it allows us to see that you know this too shall pass things kind of you know you can mm-hmm. try to focus on the positive and what can you can get out of it and you know what kind of world do you want to live in and I think for her she decides that her purpose is really you know taking care of these kids and uh, and sees an opportunity to just you know get secluded and then season two She's got to go back yeah. out there and yeah. deal with the world again because now she's got to get her kids back. And so um, it's definitely been such a journey to take with the character. It's such a journey to take with the entire show. But there is, you know, 
above all, I think the show really, because it's been seen through this young boy's eyes. And the fact that also he's a hybrid, I think speaks for like just how different you can be to like love yourself and accept yourself no matter what. How kind we can be to one another and accepting of one another. Mm-hmm. And yes, like a lot of people, you know, I think prejudice things and racism and all these things come from a place of fear, mm-hmm. right? So I believe like the show has a different way of looking at it because it's not, it's about an entity that doesn't really exist. So you don't have to have those thoughts in your head and you don't have to feel like they're talking about you in, in specific. You just feel for these people, yep. these kids and these these hybrids that are totally different. And you think to yourself, you know, they're just like us. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just want love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just want to live in a better world. They want to find family. Uh, and I think the themes of the show are so not only universal, but such a it's such an optimistic way to look at mm-hmm. life. And important here for listeners who may not know, you shot in New Zealand, right? So this was still in lockdown, right, when you got cast in this. So the world was still in this very precarious place. So the first season was like the beginning of lockdown in the entire world but New Zealand. I had to leave the family and go by myself for, we shot for like five months um, in New Zealand it was shocking because New Zealand had no COVID. So, like, you know, you go from here where, like, you stay in your house and don't get out and wear a mask everywhere yeah. you go. And, you know, people didn't really know anything about it at yeah. that time. To so then go into a place of, like, you have to do lockdown for 14 days, but the minute you're out there, you can take off your mask and then be, you know, free. I remember walking outside the first time I walked out of the building and, like... <laughs> the cab driver's like, you could take your mask off. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, but, and it, you know, it was a different time. I think, you know, because I knew that I wasn't able to, to fly back home to see my kids or, or to see my husband or they weren't able to come and see me, I just set up a different mindset and, and I didn't, I, I, we just got through it. We got through it that first season. You know, it was very difficult time because being away from my kids was something oh, that so I did hard. not ever want to do again. I mean, again, I I, I told you, I'd taken a year off because I was like, okay, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm ready to be with my children. I want to spend some time with them. I had been working nonstop, and every time I got a job, it feels like nothing shot in L.A. Mm-hmm. So I was all over the place, and it's just from a mother's standpoint it's a, it's the hardest thing you've ever had to do and you feel good about the fact that you're doing something for your family but it is very difficult mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also the plight of an actor, too, because every time you get a job, you don't want to say no because you don't know the jobs. I mean, I, there's no actor I've ever yeah. talked to. I mean, maybe maybe some at a certain point in their career uh, will say, yes, they you know, they know they know it's going to keep coming. But most actors always feel like their last their, their last job was their last job. Yeah. Potentially, you know, there is that fear of the profession, I think, always. So it's yeah. so challenging. I mean, I think it's very challenging. I mean, and for me. You know, I grew up in Dominican Republic in the middle of nowhere with like no running water, no electricity. Like the thought of like I have a career that it's like and I'm making money. Like I, I just there's something about that that is a very difficult thing to for it to leave your your brain. Like okay, that mm-hmm. you constantly work. I've constantly worked since I started working, and there's no. I still have that feeling of like when something finishes, am I gonna work again? Like you know, are people gonna forget? And and is that quickly here in Hollywood too. Mm-hmm. Like you can do a comedy and then, you know, not work for six months or do something dramatic and then they forgot you were funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, wait, is she funny? How is she? Yeah. No, totally. Can we see her again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how did you, um, so how was it with your, with your kids this second time around for the second season? Were you able to bring them or did you? Yes. You, oh, that's yes. nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I promised myself, you know, I can be very, I'm very transparent, you know, since we first met, we talked about it. Like, I remember the first time I sat down to talk with you, I was like, oh, I play volleyball. And I said, I told you my whole life story. Like, I went off, I was been on my own since I was 16. And so for me, you know, I I got to a place in my life where I just, uh, I felt like I lost my mind. And, you know, and a lot of it came Mm -hmm. from just the the, the struggles within the industry, um, the fact that I was spending so much time away from my children, I my parents moved to you know moved to, to to America when I was six months old, and so I was raised by my grandmother and then sent to live with my aunt for a while. And there was I've always had this sense of like I just want to be settled and I want a family. And so it was very difficult for me 
to be away from my kids. I, I was back at work two and a half weeks after I had them. And, you know, because I'm such a strong person and, you know, I've been through so much, you, you wake up every day and you're like, I'm fine and I'm okay and yeah. I keep going. And, you know, and then you have to promote and you have to smile and you have to do yeah. all these things and the world has to keep going and you feel like you have to keep going. And then something happened um, where I couldn't keep going anymore. And uh, and I had, you know, I had a, a, a really... I went to a really dark place. Um, and so I promised myself once I got myself back, and I did give myself mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. Um, that I that I wouldn't do that anymore, that I'm going to, you know, any no job is more important than me being able to bring my kids and my, my family with me. Mm-hmm. And so since then, that was the last time I, I, I did a job where I didn't bring them. So since then, you know, we went back for season two. They came with me. They had a blast. Um, it was hard, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, you know, having to work yeah. and 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 deal with like, okay, now I have to do. Now we're homeschooling, and now we have to find teachers. Yeah, and now you know, my between my husband and I, like, what is he gonna do? And you know, so it's like, it, it, it's a testament to us as a family. And I'm really, really, really lucky to have such an incredible husband that's willing to pick up and go mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the kids are resilient, you know, the kids. To be honest with you, have no clue. They don't notice anything. They're yeah. having a blast. Yeah. They're in New Zealand. They're with their parents. <laughs> it's like, it's all good. Uh, well, I do want to take you back to the beginning a little bit because it is, you have such a unique story and then not a unique story at all, really, which is yeah. your parents had a sacrifice. They left you and your sister behind and they came to America to pursue the, you know, the the American dream or, you know, to eventually bring you over. But you were 10 by the time you came over. Right. So that's yeah. a long time. You're living with your grandmother or your aunt or and that, you yeah. know, there's family, but it's not your parents. And also you grew up without watching television. Like you said, there was no yeah. running water. You didn't have a TV. It wasn't part of your your yeah. reality as as a child. How did you know that performing was for you? And you came in immediately. You were in Washington Heights, or I remember, was it uh, New New York yeah. City, New York, or New, Jersey, New York, City? New Jersey City? Well, we yeah. moved to Washington Heights, and right. then eventually we moved to West New York, New Jersey. Um, you know, it's funny because so now looking back, I think, and the way that I see life now at, at my age today, it's like it, I do think like the like it was my path. I didn't have television, but I was very creative since I was a little girl. You know, like I would just make up stories or, you know, make up songs. Like I remember, I don't know if I ever told you this story. So I, I had a, in, in elementary school in Dominican Republic, this girl came in one time and she had flown to New York. She came back with a cassette player and this like, you know, English song. So she lets me listen to the English song and I can't speak English at the time, right? And I so I make up all these gibberish words to this song. And so, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I would do as a kid. Like, I would just take something and, like, recreate it and dance mm-hmm. and perform with my siblings. Um, years later, I'm in New York, and my cousin calls me up, and she's like, oh, my God, Dania, guess what I'm listening to? I was like, what is it? Because also, I grew up with a bunch of cousins, so we're yeah. all kind of like sisters. Yeah. She goes, what do you like a pony song? I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, Wetty Like a Bunny. And it's Pour Some Sugar on Me was the song. Uh-huh. But we sang it and I recreated it and we performed it at Christmas for like three Christmases in a row in my wow. in my country for like yeah. all my family. And we're like, Wetty Like a Bunny, you know, gone yeah. again at all. Like it was, that was the kind of thing that I was already <laughs> doing. <laughs> right. So I think it was always in me to be somewhat of an entertainer. Um, I've always been very emotional and, you know, like able to take in and relate to people. But no, I it didn't I didn't think it was a career path that I could have. I never thought of myself as like, oh, my God, I could become an actress. And when I was in uh, living in West New York, New Jersey, uh, I would dance. I would I was working at the store, checking people's bags and I would dance in front of the store all the time. And this guy came in one day and asked me if I wanted to model. And that was my introduction to the business. And then, you know, I was always a hustler and a go-getter and like mm-hmm. from one thing to the next. And I ended up at one point, I was modeling for Wilhelmina Models and they were sending me out on commercials. And uh, and when I was 15, I walked into um, a casting call for Subway Stories, which was a short story, um, stories that they were making for HBO. Mm-hmm. And Spike Lee was directing 
Mm-hmm. And that was where I got my SAC card. And I can't remember if it was him or somebody in the production. I know he spoke to me that day, and I thought that was a huge deal, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm a star. Like, Spike spoke <laughs> to me. <laughs> and uh, somebody told me, you know, you should really do this for a living. And, but you'll, you, know, t- you should take some acting classes, you know, obviously. I was really green and, you know, mm-hmm. raw. Um, so I went to the Actors Workshop studio and walked in. And I don't know if you know who this is, but a friend of mine, Sean Christensen, mm-hmm. I haven't spoken to him in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, hello, if you're listening, mm-hmm. I, I miss you. I haven't seen you in a long time, and I'm super proud of you. He wrote a, um, by the end of the class, he, by, he, we did an improv. My acting teacher, Janet Alhanti, said, you have a gift and you should really try to pursue this. I was 15. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I just started doing it. And then I went at the end of that class, that that year at the Actors Workshop Studio. He wrote a scene, Sean, for both him and I to perform. And then I got picked up by an agent. And then the rest, you know, I I can go through every little moment in life. But I think that was to me. People always ask me, like, what is your big break? And there's so many times in this business you know yep yep that you can feel like you yep. have this big break right yep. x-men big break all the but i would have to say that i think it was doing that scene <laughs> at the end of the year my first acting class and getting picked up by an agent that was my true big break because i didn't even know people ask me till this day they're like how do you get an agent and i have no clue it just happened mm-hmm. i do think that i was meant to be doing this i do think like i'm a messenger of some mm-hmm. kind for the world and and this is how i get to do it right and i should add i can't imagine your parents were excited by this this was something that parents were like great we've now finally got our family together where they're working multiple jobs now you're going to go be what an actress being what was this yeah. i can't <laughs> no, even imagine my parents were not no, yeah. not my parents were not only not excited, um, it, it really was what, st- I mean, I was already on a path of having friction with my parents. You know, they were both very, very old school, mm-hmm. both, you know, married. My my dad, was, it's a very macho and yeah. um, old school mentality. Um, he wanted us to all go to school, go to college. They felt like they sacrificed so much for us to come to America and they saw us as really, you know, I was a very smart girl. I mm-hmm. was I was going to graduate high school at 16 mm-hmm. um, and I would ace everything. So he wanted me to be a lawyer, mostly because I would argue with him constantly. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from I that... I have one of those. Uh- <laughs> um, you know, I just, uh, he was not happy. And, yeah. and at the time when I started, you know, modeling, he didn't understand. He thought, oh, my God, what is she going to end up doing? Is she going to end up like in the adult industry? Yeah, of <laughs> they course. Did, they didn't really understand what it was. Um, nobody in my family does this for a living. Yep. So I think it's just out of fear. Now I can say that out of fear, they really did not understand it and really wanted to sort of like not have anything to do with me if I did it. Um, and so that just motivated me to like play a sport. So I started playing volleyball in high school and got into Montclair State University and played for my coach at the age of 16 and left my house. Mm-hmm. Didn't speak to my parents for like two years. Uh, it was a very difficult time because I I did, you know, you always, you know, you want family. And I, yeah. you know, I grew up with my grandmother is like, and she passed away a few years ago, but she's like the... the epitome of what you know a family woman Mm -hmm. is she's just like all love and really she had 12 kids you know so I come from a big family so I definitely miss going home but at the same time I had this freedom this newfound freedom of like I can do whatever I want (laughs) nobody's judging me I can Mm -hmm. you know I I made a ton of mistakes uh, Mm -hmm. got myself into so many bad situations uh, but got myself out of them you know and like you know was able to like put myself through college graduated at the age of 20 with a communications degree while taking acting classes in the city and you know, now I get to sit here and talk to you fine people. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I want to take, I want to go through some of the highlights. I'm looking for my glasses, everybody, and they're around my neck. <laughs> oh, um, all right. So obviously Subway Story. So then 20, it, basically you graduate and you're already working. I mean, 25th Hour, directed by Spike Lee. You've got that. Then you do something on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She Hate Me. We talked about that a little bit. Fat Albert. And then X-Men comes. 
So you are in this business for one minute, basically, in terms of of timing, and you land um, X-Men. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that I just, I, I, again, it was something that was meant to be. I had no clue what the X-Men were or or (laughs) anything about it. No idea. I had, you know, I had spent some time in Thailand. I did this independent film in Thailand. And I did it because it was going to be in Thailand for three months. And I was like, oh, I want to live in Thailand. And I've always, I love to travel. So I go to Thailand for three months, come back, and um, and I book a flight as soon as I'm back to go see my family in New York. And so I get a call from my agent, and they're like, you know, um, we want you to go in for this audition. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going out of town. Um, they're like, oh, just go. They, you know, they're, they opened up the role, and they don't really know what they're looking for. And... I said, well, can you send me the size? They're like, there's no size. You're going to get there and they're going to give you a scene from the comic book. They're going to, you know, figure out a scene from the comic book and you're going to do it. So I walk into the audition and it's uh, just everybody's white and blonde and blue eyes. And I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at the time, I mean, my accent was like 10 times thicker than it is today, okay? So I walk in and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get this job, right? So I look at the thing and I'm like, ah, it's one page of like this comic book stuff. Like, oh, I'm going to choke you. I forget what it was. So I go in and I do my thing and honestly forget some of the words. And I just start kind of making stuff up and, you know, looking towards the camera and just being a badass, right? Mm-hmm. I'm good at that. So <laughs> I leave the room get on a flight the next day and I'm in back with my sister, seeing my parents, hadn't seen them in a long time. Um, By then, our life is sort of coming back together. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm spending time with the family and I get a call and they're like, you know, the the director wants to bring you back in. Um, Can you come back? You have a call back. And I said, for what? And they're like, oh, X-Men. And I was like, oh, man, listen, I don't have money to book another flight to go to L.A. Yeah. (laughs) And then get on a flight to just like audition for this thing that I'm not going to get it. Like I saw it at the time. The character was Stacey X. And, you know, the comic books, if you guys know anything about comic books, everybody, the comic book fan world is very specific. Like, you Mm -hmm. have to be, like, nail it. And I was like, I looked at the comic books that they sent, and I'm like, I don't look anything like Stacey X. I'm not going to get this job. They were like, well, the director really thought that he saw something special, and they really want you to do it. So my sister's overhearing this, and she's like, what's going on? I tell her, my sister, who was born in America, Denise, Mm -hmm. Um, loved the X-Men and she like loved the cartoons loved everything and she was like you have to fly back like I am gonna (laughs) get some of the money and you get some of the money and you're gonna put you on a flight and you're gonna fly back so sure enough I get on a flight to come back here uh, to LA and uh, and I walk in and I just remember you know the director's looking at me he's like you know just do do the scene so I kind of do it and he's like you know what forget the scene like just look at the camera like, he starts talking to me and start talking to the camera he had been to Dominican Republic this is Brad by the way mm-hmm. he's like been, been to Dominican Republic he's talking about you know plantains and all this and so we have like I do the, the audition and I you know I leave and I was like this is such an odd callback I have no idea what just happened I don't know if I'm gonna get mm-hmm. this job I had fun so I walk out and I don't hear anything. The first week goes by and like two weeks go by. And then I get a call and they were like, you got the job. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> They're like, you got the job. They just, we can't send you anything to read because right, it's all top well, they, secret. Right. Well, they it? changed the character. Ah, they had okay. to, they found the character, Callisto, which, who is, oh, I ended up playing, mm-hmm. whose background was unknown. And she's sort of like the head of the Morlocks and grew up on the subways in New yep. York City. And I was like, oh, perfect. So that was my X-Men story. That's so funny. All right. <laughs> I have to ask you another one because I, I was reminded of this. Uh, a diehard Sopranos fan, as was everybody was, right? Yeah. Before Succession, before White Lotus, there was The Sopranos, right? It really made HBO. And James Gattafini and, and my friend Aida was on that show. And like Sopranos, we lived By in the way, you're friends Sopranos. with everybody, Krista. <laughs> <laughs> I've been around a long time. I've lived a lot of lives. Uh, but what was that like? Well, what were some of your experiences working on that show? You played young, uh, a- you know, AJ's Big Love and Blanca, Heartbreaker. Blanca Salgado. Yeah. 
Yeah, Blanc. You know, another another crazy story with that. It was like, you know, they had my agents had passed on it, and then I found out Sheila Jaffe, who was casting it, uh, was friends with this guy that I was dating, and I found out through him that she really wanted me to come in and audition, and then I end up, you know, I I was like, I called called in and do the audition, and then David Chase calls like a week later and I end up getting the job. But really my experience in Sopranos was so special. It is to date like one of my favorite shows of all time. Not like not even because I was in it, just like I just think it was there was so much talented mm-hmm. people. But it really was a family. And it was mm-hmm. my first time really working on anything where I felt like I walked into the set and I walked into someone's home. You know, like those the the big Dinner, um, dinner scenes mm-hmm. were such a huge part of the show, and they were a part of like I think the cast and how everybody related. Yep. You know, like I, I remember sitting down with them for the first time, and I, I had a Blanca, my character had a had a kid, and the kid's sort of like not paying attention, and he starts throwing the spaghetti up in the air, and then everybody starts throwing spaghetti in the air, and it was just like a fun, you know, environment. They really made me feel at home. Um, I didn't know, you know, I, I grew up in Jersey, so I thought it was a huge deal to be a part of The Sopranos because I was like such a big fan of The Sopranos by the time I was on it. Uh, and, and we're still like, me and Jamie still talk, you mm-hmm. know, so it's like it's been such a, it's, it's a great year. I think I did their podcast also like two years oh, ago. Nice. Um, yeah, I just, it's, it, was a, it was a great experience. And I got to meet James, you know, he was so sweet. Um, just the whole cast just really was amazing. It was yeah, a good he was experience. So, he was such a gentle giant kind of in that in that way, really sweet guy. Yeah. No, hated the hated the attention, was never someone that solicited any of that. Yeah. So talented. So, so I talented. remember seeing him when he uh, on Broadway for Streetcar Named Desire. He played the neighbor upstairs with my friend Aida Totoro. And uh, I was living in New York at the time. And I, we would go all I the love time. Aida, by the way. Aida's the best. And Aida was actually still working and organizing and cleaning houses and then going to Broadway, right? We were wow. all working. And it was so fun. You, it was like we could sneak in uh, <laughs> as friends and watch. So I saw that show so many times. It was Alec Baldwin and Jessica Lang and yeah. Amy. Madigan, oh, Madigan. Uh, yeah, yeah played Stella and whatnot. It was so such a formative experience with that. But I, I loved him and he was great. And then, you know, obviously the rest is history with him with Sopranos. But I agree. I think yeah. it still stands as one of the greatest. It's one of the greatest shows, shows of all it's time. Of you all know? time. You and can it, still watch it today and feel like you get transported back into a certain mm-hmm. time. And, and, and nobody told that, you know, the story of a, of a mobster from a real vulnerable perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was such a, a a badass. And at the same time, you know, you really felt for him. Like, mm-hmm. he struggled with, like... And that's such a human, you know, emotion. Like, I do believe that we're genuinely, you know, good people. We start off as really good individuals. And, and nobody ever feels good when they do something bad. No. Even if they end up doing it, you mm-hmm. know? I think that's that was the most interesting part about the show for me. It's just mm-hmm. having, and every character, you know, even my my character came in. I was like, break ages hard and like just leave him. Yeah, <laughs> there was no explanation. I just left. Yeah, bye, you know, bye. <laughs> Not for me. Uh, I just thought the way they told that show was it felt very real, very human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So then uh, when I told the team I was interviewing you they were very excited and they remember you from Heroes and from <laughs> Devious Maids of course I I don't really remember Heroes very much but I do remember Devious Maids because it's just one brilliant uh, you know <laughs> and also the, it. it was like the housewives kind of thing you know people were real we were in that world right it was that yeah. time or era it was and, very soapy yeah. and, and like witty and 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 specific, you know. I think that's another thing. You know, everything, every sing, every great show is specific, mm-hmm. and you know, to just tap into, you know, the rich and famous of Beverly Hills from like the the maid side, but not like they're victims or like they're working for them, but they're on their own journey. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, I remember when we did the pilot, it was, uh, you know, I, I, the beginning of it, of it all, before even, you know, Eva, Eva Longoria came in to, as one of the producers, but like before even that was happening, you know, we were, they were getting some kind of backlash because we were, you know, leads and we were Latin and that was a huge deal. And 
I just love the fact that it wasn't about that, that it was just a show and it was funny and it yeah. was, you know what I mean, like soapy and the love interest. And it was just so, it was so good that my kids, I, I was telling you before we started the podcast, my kids started watching it. So they, they really re-released it now and they started watching it and they're so obsessed with it. Just like the characters are so vibrant and... It was. It's a, it's, and a it's different a voice. Show. You get to do a different voice. I mean, I love. You're so. Um, you have so much dexterity in in your gift. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you could do you. a million different voices. You can be so physical. You can be so vulnerable. You, you you do all these things, which is the reason why you work so much. And now I do the rosy voice. Yeah, <laughs> that was for you, Ether. So my kids are making me do the rosy voice when I make them breakfast now. <laughs> so good. Uh, it's so good. I love that that show. That deserves a. That, I'm you. glad they've rebrought the deserves another round of discovery. I honestly, I feel the exact same way. Either that or a movie to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> right now we're saying it maybe a movie. Uh, yeah, but it is it is interesting because you would think for you there were so many potholes uh, in your career early on uh, to get typecast. I mean, one, you're beautiful, uh, yeah. but also uh, the accent. Are you going to be a certain, are you only going to be the arm candy and, the, yeah. you know, playing a certain role and get, getting kind of siloed? And y- you haven't been at all. And it's just kind of, uh, it's just amazing. And obviously I've covered this this industry forever. So it is a unique, you know, like you have had to, whether consciously or unconsciously, like kind of, um, break some of these boundaries and 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 barriers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also perspective. You know, mm-hmm. I never look at something and I'm like, I have to be that because that's the Latin role, and I'm going for that. And I just really like, again, and this is you know a, a testament to just life and the universe that's maybe just working on my behalf. Like I have been presented with the, with material that and opportunities where they were like, you know, we don't know what we want. So, And those are the roles, to be honest with you, that I've really been able to to get. It's when those moments mm. where people don't know what they want, because I, I don't know if I know who I am sometimes. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I change depending on, you know, the occasion or what I'm feeling or who I am that in this particular year or how I'm feeling. And, you know, I feel like we constantly evolve and I've constantly, you know, allowed myself the freedom to to tap into all these different things and you know that's a gift um it's also i I think it's a choice in life of just saying i don't want to just be one thing so let me look at everything and and i I have an incredible my partner in crime i call him like also like my manager my husband then afterwards because i remember when i had a moment in my career where people were calling me and they were like, you have to lose your accent and you're not going to be able to work. And how can you become a star if you don't lose your accent? And then, you know, my husband looked at me and he's like, you know, we've been together 13 years, but I was at, right when we met, I was going through that moment again. Uh, and mm-hmm. he looked at me and he was just like, you're so unique. You, there's nothing, if you're going to get something, you're going to get it. Whether and, I, and that's right when I auditioned for Devious Maids. And I said, well, instead of losing my accent... I'm just going to give myself an extra accent (laughs) and see what happens. And then I ended up doing that show. And it just really made me feel like, you know what? You can do anything and nothing should stop you. And you should be able to like, but it it is, you are your thoughts. And if you can see yourself as something much bigger than what people see you, then the doors will open. Um, You just have to keep knocking on them Mm -hmm. because I mean I have had every opportunity to be like, okay, I'm done. Or I only let's just go for these kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. My manager many times has told me that, you know, I just see you as a as, as a star. So I'm going to just submit you to all these different things and then just see what happens. Um, and he's had that, you know, we've had that mentality as far as my career is concerned. And it's, you know, it's worked out so far. Is there anybody that's been a huge mentor for you along the way? I think my children are now my mentor. I think it changes for me. You know, I got, I'm a little bit of a vagabond. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I grew up sort of like always being passed around from people to people and lived with different people and found new best friends along the way. And um, I can't say that, that anybody's like, oh, let me hold your hand and guide mm-hmm. you through this business. Um, I think that's why I've had my ups and downs in this business because mm-hmm. you know, I found myself at times not knowing what I was doing mm-hmm. <laughs> or trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think 
it's at this point my my family I would be I would be like those are my mentors like now mm-hmm. I run everything by them and I'm mm-hmm. like okay let me have them watch this and if they think it's good that's all that matters right <laughs> <laughs> is there any genre that you really want to do like is there anything that you like it's it's kind yeah. of uh, antithesis of what you're saying like a lot comes to you but if you could have yeah. that oh I I really want to do a comedy or an action or you know something like that. Is there anything that you that you're kind of manifesting? Um, I would love to do some kind of you know um, like period piece, but like set within like some kind of goddess, like the Ishtar. I don't know if you know Ishtar goddess, mm-hmm. like like that. You know, maybe try to tell that story, but with some humor in it so I can you know we can go and tap into different places but I think you know I've never gotten been granted the opportunity to really tackle like a period piece something of you know a different time mm-hmm. um, I feel like there's a lot of untold stories about like really uh, amazing women um, and and it would be great to to tap into that world mm-hmm. at this point in my life. I want to talk to you about this podcast you did with Eva Longoria, Sisters of the Underground. It was about the Mirabal sisters, who were these like three sisters uh, that started the revolution against the dictator Trujillo in the Dominican Republic back in the 1960s. So it was a it was an opportunity to try to do something that I you know a lot of people had had tried to tell this story. But I believe it just wasn't the right time. I don't know if people were ready to like mm-hmm. really put like money behind the movie and that wasn't right. based on like the love story. Um, I really wanted it to be about the women and the sisterhood and who they were as people. Mm-hmm. And then they happened to be these revolutionary women, but really they were family first. And it was their commitment to each other that really allowed them to stick together and to have that strength and um, and start the revolution against one of the most ruthless dictators that the world has ever seen mm-hmm. in Trujillo, in the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, that actually... We did it as a uh, as a six-part um, scripted series. And so we were able to really cast Dominicans to play Dominicans. Mm-hmm. And, and I also love that because I, I got the opportunity, because it was a podcast, to have some say in the creative and... Um, Tell the story from a different perspective, and it, you know, podcasts are great because it allows you to just listen, right? You know, your imagination. So you don't, your okay. imagination. You can go different places. How does this speak to also like the Dominican Republic? What does that sound like? You know, what mm-hmm. is, what does our music sound like? So, um, I thought it was a, a really good way to to explore that uh, in a different way, and it definitely made me look into the history of my country. Um, I know that there's um, there's a story that I really would love to play. Um, it's the story of Anacaona. Mm-hmm. And Anacaona was back from, from the Christopher Columbus era. She was uh, an, um, a Dominican woman that, from, from a village that really fought for the rights of the village and the people and fought against, you know, during the time of Christopher Columbus. And she's uh, it's a huge part of our history and nobody really knows about it. So that would be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. That's like, I, I like it. We say it here first, right? I mean, I don't go. know. We start manifesting. Um, all right. The meditation. So yes. you meditate every morning. Yes. Now, I've, I, I do not meditate, but I always want to meditate. So it's one of those things where I hear about a lot of people, very important, like a lot of uh, powerful, high functioning people med- meditate. So I don't know why I'm resistant. So I really should just try and do just it. <laughs> My attention span, I guess, or the mornings you get to wait. Maybe I'm lazy. I don't know. Every adjective. But what has it done for you? Because you didn't meditate before and then you started meditating, you know, kind of once you had your family and you you had to have that break and you came back and you realized like you needed to center yourself. So what does it do for you? It just grounds me in in and really allows myself to like really get back to to myself at the most authentic place that I can be myself and 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 allows me to really try to believe that there's the you know that that there's a um to trust that everything will be fine no matter what and and that's a very difficult you know thing when you're working and you're constantly watching things and you're there's so many distractions whether it's the news or the kids or someone coming in with an issue or you wanting to what what am I going to do next and you know what is my next appointment and how do I plan my next move in the career you're constantly you know 
thinking so much of the future can just give you anxiety, especially when you're like a, a high functional person and you're mm-hmm. like you and you have a lot of drive. And I think for me, it's great to have a lot of drive and it's great that I want to do all these different things and I want to create all these different opportunities for myself. And I'm thinking now I have kids and what do I want to do for my kids? And I think it just allows me some time with myself. It allows me to just quiet everything, to focus on nothing, to try to focus, try to focus, even if it is on something in being okay with the fact that I'm thinking of something else, but I know that I'm proud of myself every single morning because I did dedicate that, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on how I feel, you know, I can go longer or go shorter. I can feel good that I that I have a practice that I'm that I'm that I have something that I'm doing on an mm-hmm. everyday basis that uh, that are that is based not on making money, not on pleasing anybody else, just on me accepting loving me um, and that allows me to really just have the energy to deal with the world and is there um, seven days a week I try to do a yeah. seven days I try to do every single morning even yeah. if I you know when I'm making breakfast for the kids and again you know everything is different I don't I don't judge myself if I can do it the exact same way right. you know I wake up in the morning and you know yesterday I had to do you know the the, the press junket for for Sweet Tooth on, yeah. at Netflix. And, you know, I had hair and makeup at my house at 5.45. I wanted to get up at 5 to make the kids breakfast. And I sat there and just said, you know, I might not have time to go sit outside in my cushion and, you know, cross my legs. And yeah. <laughs> so I, I just played, you know, ohm because vibrations mm-hmm. are really, you know, big. And I went to India and spent, you know, 21 days at the IVAC Center in India in a place where there were no phones and no television and own playing all day around. And, the, and what he did for me at a time that I, I felt like my mind was gone was just really allow me to, to, to understand that I have the power to just come back at any given point. And I think that's so important because I did lose my mind at one mm-hmm. point. I feel like that's absolutely important for me now and I will not stop that you know that practice mm-hmm. on an everyday basis so if, if it is sitting outside or in my house mm-hmm. or going to you know doing it after I do a yoga mm-hmm. class or playing home while I'm making breakfast and try mm-hmm. to block out all mm-hmm. the other voices that's how I do it and there's no right or wrong way to do it either mm-hmm. oh I love you. You're such an inspiration. I love it. It's it's so Aww. yeah. I love that. It's just you're you're one of the most interesting people that I've come across, and um, I appreciate your honesty. And there's just the conversation is 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 it's motivating, uh, and the not Thank the lack you. of judgment. I think is so important because I think so many we, we judge ourselves if we can't do it right, or if we're not doing it at the same time, or we're not doing it the way we read it, or we're supposed to. That somehow we're failing, and really the tr- it's it, the win is in the trying, and a lot of I and I feel like that's something I've always got to remind myself of too. It's like the win is in the trying. I'm trying. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily sitting at the top and having done everything perfectly. Really the fun and the learning is had in the climb. Exactly. And in that moment, and what are you doing right Mm -hmm. now? And accepting that. And, you know, I, 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 this year for, you know, I hadn't had a, a new year's resolution or think of things like that very rarely do I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this this year. I think I, I might write something on Instagram mm-hmm. because that's what social media wants. But yeah. I don't know if me personally, I'm like, that's what I did yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but this year I am, you know, I did tell myself that I was going to practice. This is my new thing that I'm practicing. Huh. And it's the not judgment, even on judgments. And not judging myself if I find myself even judging because uh-huh. we're human. And so you're going to have reactions to things. And so long as you, I mean, for me, so long as I try to, I, I recognize it. And I recognize myself judging myself for doing this or talking like this. Or maybe mm-hmm. I said too much or maybe I said too little or I shouldn't have done it that way. Mm-hmm. And I could have done better. Even if I'm judging mm-hmm. myself or judging myself for judging other people, if I recognize it, then I can let it go. And then it's done. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I'm working on because you're never gonna be perfect. You know, yeah. it's, you know, you're a go getter, Chris. Yeah. Krista. So like for me, it, it, like when I see you, it's always been so easy to talk to you. 
um, I don't know, maybe we're just kindred spirits. And, you know, you've always given me such a such a beautiful, open opportunity to really express myself. Um, and I am so grateful to you for that. Uh, but I also feel like that because I can see myself in you. And mm-hmm. so it's easier to be that way, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, please, thank you. <laughs> All right, I have one last question. Uh, and I'm asking this of everybody on uh, this season on the podcast. I always like to do one question. Uh, and the last ones <laughs> were uh, a little bit heavier, right? Because we were in a heavier time. Uh, not that we're really not in a lighter time now. It doesn't seem either. Uh, but there was a global pandemic going. So it was more about fear and, you yeah. know, all these things. So now mine is a little bit more shallow, but uh, entertaining. So what do what do people um, say to you uh, on the street when they think they recognize you or recognize you? Or what, what do people come up to you and say when 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 you run into them? I mean, I get a, I get a lot. Like, did I go to high school with you? Like, for some reason, people wouldn't think that they went to school with me. I don't know why. And, and I usually like to take that. <laughs> it's a lot easier. I find it a lot easier than having to explain what I've done. Yeah. No, I have. I think because I've done so many different yep. things, and I, and I look so different, and I and I have such a normal way of being when I'm out there in the world yeah. walking around. That when people like look at me and they feel like they recognize me, they're like, oh, maybe we went to school together, or maybe we grew up like maybe mm-hmm. were you in my same town. I always go along with it, I have to say. I never tell them that we didn't. I'm like, maybe we did. I think we did. Were you in that class? Just because it's easier. I found it easier because at one point, anytime I really said, oh, I'm an actress, people would be like, oh, what have you done? And then I have to start naming stuff. And most of the time, people are like, oh, I don't watch TV. I didn't Mm -hmm. see that. Mm -hmm. I don't like action movies. I'm like, why did you ask me? (laughs) So now I went to high school with everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love that you play along. Oh, yeah. We were in that class. Was it math? Yeah, definitely. Like, what? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so funny. I know. And it probably is because you do look different. You've been in so many different things. But you're so but your presence has done that so funny. Well, um, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, congrats again on Sweet Tooth. Um, I'm excited for everybody to see it. Thank you for having me. You're the best. Season two of Sweet Tooth is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 